Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... Kevin. I am still Kevin. Coming back at you with the first official episode of 2021 that we're recording in 2021. You say that with such authority. <laughs> well, this was supposed to come out a little bit earlier, but you know, we try to get it out once a week-ish at this point. <laughs> I, you know, we've talked about moving it to every other week, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to do that. I like, I like weekly podcasts, so we're going to try it as best we can. Thursdays. Thursdays is the goal. That's the goal. And it's only Sunday, so I mean. <laughs> we're falling behind but our yeah, goals. Yeah, this is our first recorded episode of 2021, but definitely it's the second episode that's come out in 2021. Uh, our last episode was a wrap-up of 2020, The Real Criminal. And Are you saying the year was criminal? Yeah, the year was the criminal. Nice. Yeah. So already 2021, really smooth, easy start, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing going on. Nothing weird has happened yet. Just Everything's business just... Business as usual. Yep. Status quo. Obviously, unless like, I don't know, you live under a rock. I don't know. Whatever euphemism you want to use. We're probably, going down. <laughs> Yeah, just a couple of days ago, those people stormed the Capitol. We don't want to get into it because we don't want to get too political because this isn't a political podcast. This is a true crime podcast. It was a nice photo op. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do you want a selfie with the police? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that was such a brutal insurrection, taking selfies with the police. Yeah. Uh, real, 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 uh, <laughs> real revolution there. Okay, so. All of that aside, it's already been pretty crazy. We've read all the memes, and I know you guys have too, so we won't spend too much time on it. Obviously, we just want to hope that we just hope that everyone's safe. I have family in DC, and they're all good, so we're all good, right? You good? I'm good. You got your whiskey? Fuck yeah, I got my whiskey. All right, so let's I do need this. my whiskey. I went from want to need. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if that's good. <laughs> that's your resolution. Part of my 2021 survival kit. Is a giant camelback. Jameson, yeah. You know, Jameson should sponsor us. If you're listening, Jameson. Jameson has some. They have some rough shit. They have some rough shit in their past. Well, they're Irish. Well, yeah, but if anybody want to looks into, I mean, maybe maybe we'll do an episode about the Jameson family. But one of the founders, like sons, did some rough shit with like cannibals. (laughs) In like on safari or whatever okay, you want well, to call now it. One we're of doing, expeditions. We're going to do an episode on that because that sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. A lot of it's hearsay, but I think a lot of it can also be corroborated too. So I, I know a couple other podcasts have covered it, um, but it does sound really interesting. So maybe we'll, we will do a Jameson episode. They probably won't want to sponsor us after it though. <laughs> maybe we can spin it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Make it look like they were the good guys. Right. Oh, I was the good guy selling yeah. the little girl to the cannibal. Yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> All right. So this year, one of my resolutions similar to last year was that I really like to do unsolved cases with the hopes that getting the word out, getting other stories back in the news, people talking about it. Um, I'd like more unsolved cases to be solved. That's a good resolution to have, right? I mean, that was my that was my resolution last year, and we did we we covered a lot of like lesser known cases and unsolved cases. So I want to do that again. So one of the m- most notorious unsolved cases I, I feel like of the last you know ten or twenty years has been the one that we're going to talk about today, which is the unsolved two thousand eight Lane Bryant shooting. Do you remember when this happened? Like. In the news, like when it actually happened? No. Neither do, do I. No. I, I remember um, like mention was, of it. I mean, it, I I've think heard of it, but the, yeah, yeah, I, for sure. I think that if you lived in the Chicago area, you definitely would have heard of it. Um, but no, not personally. 2008. We were, were you were we, still we like were, 10. We were still together. Oh. We, we had just gotten. No, we weren't together in 2008. These people don't care. And <laughs> <laughs> we had. I think Jameson we, don't care. Yeah. So unsolved cases haunt all of us, but unsolved mass murders are even more mystifying and rare. There have been whole families murdered and communities attacked with no solution as to who the murderer or murderers were. Such cases that have received a lot of attention that I know personally about are the 1991 Austin Yogurt Shop murders in which four young girls all under the age of 18 they were murdered while closing up for the night. Oh, it's such a sad case. Yeah, that's pretty. One of the really, brutal. really, I think there was a 13 year old girl that was there. She was there like visiting her big sister, like watching her close up for the night. And then she was one of the ones slaughtered as well. And I don't even. Was that think, like supposed to be a robbery too? Yeah, all of these were. So especially like mass murders where it's at a place of business. They're always, um, they're always botched robberies. It seems like. And these are just the ones I'm highlighting that I know have been covered a ton of times. There's also the 1978 Burger Chef murders in Speedway, Indiana. And one of the reasons that this one received, I think, it started to receive a lot of attention. And then you know what happened the next day after this? So so when you think of Indiana, do any notorious people come to mind? None. Really? No, there's Ariel Castro, right? No, he's Ohio. And then there was... Um, You're just going to make people up. <laughs> there's that one guy that did the thing. Yeah, the one guy... The, really? Unabomber. No, he's like he's like Wyoming or Minnesota or one of those... Mid- no, Indiana. And Jim Jones was from Indiana. I know it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah. It, so the day after the Burger Jonestown Chef... Jonestown happened? The day after the Burger Chef murders, Jonestown happened. And it completely overshadowed the Burger Chef stuff. Because Speedway, Indiana is right next to where... I, it may have even been the same city that Jim Jones was from. I don't think so. But I think he was from... It wasn't Gary, Indiana. But it may have been... What's the other big one in Indiana? Indianapolis? Is that a city? You're putting me on the <laughs> spot here. He. So I just know that um, Jim Jones was from very close to where this occurred. And the day after this massacre, the Jim Jones massacre happened. Right. The mass suicide. Right. So that's why 
that definitely overshadowed. And then there were like other fucking things that happened um, during this time. It's really, really crazy. So in 1978, the day before the Jim Jones massacre in, where was it? Guyana. Guyana, yeah. Four young employees were killed in a very mysterious way. If you're interested in that, there's tons and tons of podcasts on it. It's super duper interesting and infuriating. So much apparent evidence, but nothing definitive. That's something you'll see in a lot of these mass shootings is with so many casualties and so many points of entry and exit and, you know, like video and like, you know, just left behind evidence. It feels maddening that they can't get solved. The more bodies, the more evidence, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they and 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 that's why I find unsolved mass killings so infuriating because it's just like there's 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 so much more evidence than if it was just one body. Maybe they don't want to solve them. Oh, I don't know. And like I said, four young employees were killed in the Speedway incident. And then in 1990 was the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre, which was in New Mexico, at, where seven people were shot four of which died, and I was reminded of it from one of the most recent episodes of Crime Junkies. Not a huge Crime Junkies fan, but I know a lot of our listeners are, so you probably heard the most uh, one of the more recent episodes of Crime Junkies where they did a pretty good job covering it. And in that incident, like I said, four people died. So in each of the incidents that I'm talking about, four people died. Um, what about uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting? Well, that's not unsolved, though. Correct. <laughs> But there were a lot of casualties. That was just a mass shooting. I'm talking about unsolved mass shootings. It's just, it's maddening because it's like there's so many casualties. There's so much evidence. There's so many eyewitnesses, yet they can't make an arrest. They can't even find a suspect, you know? That's what feels insane. Well, I think to get away, you know, I don't want to, like, spoiler alert, but in order to get away, I think you need to dress really flashy. You know, like, have, like, sequins on your jeans and beads in your hair and stuff you know stuff that people can like tell you apart from the others okay something that really sets you apart all right well we have that to look forward to um so all of these mass shootings with multiple casualties were all botched robberies that all had gone that have all gone unsolved for many years more recently in 2008 there was a mass shooting at a tinley park lane bryant store just minutes after opening for the day and that is the one that we're going to discuss today the difference between the unsolved Lane Bryant shooting and the others is that this one feels solvable. If we can use the facts that are at hand, if they are, in fact, facts. Well, not all the facts are at hand because it sounds like the police are holding some things uh, back. Okay. So we have so many pieces of the Lane Bryant shooting puzzle, but we just haven't been able to put them together yet. So Tinley Park is a village located in Cook County, Illinois in a the United village. States. Yeah, that's what it said. The population is about 57,000 and is one of the fastest growing suburbs southwest of Chicago. Do in- they have electricity? Yes. Okay, good. They have a Lane Bryant. They have electricity. You yeah. said it's a village. That- that's what the, their Wikipedia page says. Uh, it's a village. I think of like goats and straw roofs. I think a vi- village means it's not quite a city. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, in 2009, Tinley Park was selected by business, which is funny. So in 2009, one year after the mass shooting, Tinley Park was selected by Business Week as the best place to raise a family in the United States. 
Okay. I know. It's just weird that they chose <laughs> the year after. Random, yeah. Yeah. And then in 2017, Tinley Park was listed as one of the safest 50 cities in the United States. So, again, it kind of just goes to show you that this place, shit don't happen there. As long as you're not a chunky professional woman in need of clothes. <laughs> yes, if you didn't know, listeners, uh, Lane Bryant is kind of known as a store for larger women. With larger good taste. And good jobs. Because it tends to be kind of professional. Yeah. Like, pant, think pantsuits. Yeah, Hillary Clinton, but bigger. <laughs> pantsuits. You said pantsuits. Okay, okay, fine. I, they have other things, too. I, I I, mean, anybody can shop at a Lane Bryant, I'm sure. I think if they you allow feel, anyone. If you want to feel really good about yourself, you can probably shop at one and get, like, really small sizes. <laughs> Special order. I feel like a bad person right now, because we're going to talk about some pain and shit. In a second. Well, that's why we're making light now, because it gets dark quick. Yes, it gets dark quick out here. So on a cold winter day on February 2nd, so we're coming close on the anniversary. We, we're coming up on the 12th and 13th. 13th? February 2nd. February 2nd. So it'll be the 13th anniversary of the Lane Bryant shooting. And and my the, birthday. Yeah. the 30 A lot of things happen on February something. 2nd. Somebody else, like I feel like a couple of weeks ago, something fucked up happened on February 2nd. Oh, well. So on a cold winter day and on February 2nd, 2008, it was in the mid-20s all day that day, this event took the community by storm. Store manager Rhonda McFarlane showed up to help her lone employee at Lane Bryant that morning. Helping people was in Rhonda's DNA. She was a U.S. Air Force veteran, an associate pastor at Embassy Christian Center. Mind you, she wasn't scheduled to come in that day. She was just there to help out on her day off. Who does that? Nice people. Not this guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, the lone employee, a 33-year-old nursing student who worked at the store on the weekends, had been scheduled to open the store all by herself, so she must have been happy that Rhonda was there to help out. The two employees opened the store to the public at 10 a.m., and within minutes, they had their first couple customers. At around the same time, a man of average height described as being a little husky with cornrow hairstyles. Cornrow hairstyles. Corn, a cornrow corn hairstyle. Hair Thank you. <laughs> okay, white guy. My white is... <laughs> <laughs> Your white is showing. My white is showing. <laughs> Okay, so this dude comes in. He's got cornrows. He's got fucking cornrows. Okay. And a receding hairline. Not a good combo. But he's got green beads that go over one side of his face or ear or something like that. Which, so, okay, receding hairline, puffy cornrows, green beads off one strand. I like, call the that's beads, a, that's distraction. That is... An intense hairstyle. Yeah. It's like, don't look up here at the receding hairline. Look down here at, at my these... cool beads. Yes. <laughs> so this guy walks into the store, and he's kind of acting like a delivery person. Like he's got a delivery to drop off. And he's talking to some of the staff members. There's Well, there's two of them. So, And he's got a stack of papers with like a, you know, like a, an invoice. So just to reiterate, Rhonda is the manager, not supposed to be working, but there. And then the other person we're not actually going to be able to name 
but we're going to call her Martha later on. So it's Martha and Rhoda in the store, or Rhonda, sorry. Martha and Rhonda in the store, and Martha is a part-time employee. Correct. Okay. Rhonda, being the store manager, knew that there was no delivery scheduled for that day, and she ended up calling another Lane Bryant nearby uh, for clarification, because sometimes deliveries get mixed up between stores. Mm-hmm. So this dude was there for delivery, but not one these unfortunate ladies would ever want. Roughly 15 minutes passed before it became apparent that this was no simple delivery man. The man brandished a high-powered 40 caliber Glock handgun and announced he was robbing the store. That's probably your first clue that he's not the <laughs> delivery guy. He ordered the two employees and the two shoppers who were in the store at the time to the back of the store. He tied their hands and feet with duct tape and forced them to lay face down. The gunman began demanding that the employees get him money from the register. It's 10 a.m., so how much money can... Yeah, so that's something that we'll probably talk about we'll towards get there. the end. Like, this is minutes after opening, so it's like... Eight minutes. Potentially the worst time to be robbing a store... Because you only have what's in your till, and at a place like Lane Bryant, where things are thirty dollars plus, like you're no one not, pays with cash. Anymore. No one pays with cash because it's two thousand eight, which you know we're heavily into credit cards at that point. Yeah. And also, th- it's not like this is a corner store where you can get like a forty or something. Like this is <laughs> this is there's nothing under thirty dollars at that store, so it's very rare to pay cash. You know what I mean? Yeah, because the bras there are huge. <laughs> no more Lane Bryant jokes. <laughs> so, on top of the money from the register that he wanted, he also demanded that the women get the money from their purses, and he even took some jewelry, reportedly. The gunman had made these women lay face down, and uh, I guess he groped one of them, Is it's reported, but that's as far as it went. He, there was no sexual assault or, or anything like that, so... He gets them face down on the ground, and then he covers their head with underwear from a display that was on the sales floor. And he, uh, yeah, he covers the women's head with the, the, this underwear, uh, trying to, you know, hide his identity. But at this point, everybody's seen him. So yeah, I don't, because I don't know. He had the flashy green fucking like everyone's seen him. So the underwear over the head is weird. And the fact that he's eventually going to kill all these women is kind of weird, too, because it's like, I don't know, he keeps like, it seems like he's going back and forth on if he's going to, you know, if he's trying to. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a plan. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And I don't think originally he was going to kill these women. Yeah, but wouldn't he have come in with a mask then? If you're going to rob a store, go in with a ski mask. I'm not. That is great advice, Amy. No, that is not advice I'm giving. You know, she's not only pretty, she's smart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. This is not a smart criminal. There's not a lot of them. None that we talk about anyways, because we're talking about them, so they're not that smart. They got caught. Minutes would continue to pass, and as expected, customers continued to enter the store. (laughs) Yeah. He could have locked that shit up. I think his plan was to chill out in the back of the store and keep robbing women. What? That's a bad plan. That is the worst plan ever. I might have made that plan up in my own mind. But still. 
He could have demanded the keys from the manager and he locked could have locked up the door and yeah. like put like clothes. Come back later. <laughs> yeah, not like a big flashing giant bra sale sign. Yeah, what's with your thing with bras? Big boobs. Okay, all right. Two customers come into the store while all this is happening, and the gunman comes out and he, at gunpoint, directs these two other women to the back of the store. One of these two women decided to fight back against the gunman, and the gunman hit her across the face at least once with the, with the back of his gun, pistol whipping her, leaving her bruised and bloodied. And once in the back room, the two women joined the other four and were bound with duct tape and panties on the head. This had all unfolded over roughly 40 minutes, during which time the gunman, who had seemed calm and collected, why not just take the money and run? You know what I mean? Like, this seems unnecessary. Almost all of this is unnecessary. This is a very weird case, yes. Yeah. At first, the gunman is calm and collected, but he begins to lose his cool. He struggled to collect his bearings after leading the last two hot... I think when the other two women came into the store, yeah, it, it fucked up his yeah, whole thing. Yeah. And so, while in this confusion, store manager Rhonda McFarland saw an opportunity... Using the Bluetooth headset that she was wearing, Rhonda was able to secretly dial 911. The call, which was received by Will County's Sheriff Department, was quickly transferred to Tinsley Park Police, who held jurisdiction over the crime scene. If this was today, man, I wish she would have texted 911 so, like, none of this could be audible to the shooter, you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's been a relatively recent development. Is being able to text nine one one. Well, so she calls nine one one, and she whispers to them, Lane Bryant. You can hear it on the nine one one call. She whispers, Lane Bryant, and then please hurry. Luckily, the nine one one dispatcher. I'm not saying like it's lucky, but luckily the nine one one dispatcher like understood what was happening. She wasn't just like, "I'm sorry, ma'am, could you speak up?" or anything like that. Yeah, like She's in some like, of the I other cases it. when people are I like, know, "I've I'm been s- shot, I'm dying," they're like, "Why?" I'm can- sorry. Can you say that again? You know, or Would like, you like can a you side of fries calm? with yeah, that? Yeah, like this nine one one operator like immediately was like, "Got it. What else do I need to know?" You know. Yeah, she was. I mean, intuitive. They'd, yeah. I mean, hopefully they're trained for these sort of things. Uh, And it sounds like this person was. So kudos to her. The gunman seemed to have heard Rhonda, like at least heard the 911 person's voice through the Bluetooth that Rhonda was wearing. And this is when the gunman freaks out. Just moments after Rhonda McFarlane dialed 911 and whispered in that information to dispatchers, The gunman opened fire on each of the six hostages in which has been described as an execution-style mass shooting. For five of the women, this was a quick and painless death. And fucking pointless. All right, sorry. But the sixth woman, the store employee that had opened this door alongside of Rhonda, would manage to survive. Her identity has been kept confidential as she was the only survivor. And according to reports, this woman turned her head at the very last second, and the bullet simply grazed her neck. She played dead while the gunman fled the scene and waited there for help to arrive. That's pretty fucking crazy. That's like some Matrix shit, dude. Being able to, like, fucking, like, I mean, the last... And how... Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll kind of get into some of, like... The theories? Yeah, we'll get into that. But I've got some... Yeah. Questions. Yeah. 
And that's one of the reasons I find this case infuriating because it's like there has to be more. You know what I mean? And I think there are or there is. Yeah. We're, we're pretty sure that all the other women were shot from behind, like I said, execution style. While the survivor, we'll call her Martha, she was shot with the shooter standing in front of her. Okay, so you want to get into this now? Well, this is what you wrote, so. I fucking, <laughs> I did. I, I heard this, I listened to a couple podcasts about it, and I read, you know, different websites, read Comments. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Somewhere along the way, I do remember hearing something about five of the women being shot from behind while the sixth woman, the survivor, was shot from the front. So he changes M.O. for her. And her dodging the bullet being in front of the shooter, he would see her do that and how he can. I mean, okay. also this we haven't talked about this yet. It's such a short amount of time from the 911 call. Okay, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but. From the moment that he notices the 911 call to the time that the responding officer comes into the store is one minute because he was across a, a parking lot. He's like a hundred, he was a couple hundred feet away in the target, which is like across the parking lot. So there was already an officer on o- scene, arriving on scene, yeah, in one minute. And so this dude caps three boom, 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 six boom. chicks, yeah, and bails, and cops don't find him. So that's that's essentially what is going on here. So why switch it up for the sixth woman then? Was she in on it? Well, aren't they all supposed to be also like duct taped face down on the ground? Yes. So how would she? He may be have facing? like pulled. I don't know. He may maybe have like she, demanded them to be up. I mean, maybe like she was the last one. I mean, and you can so, roll over. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Like she maybe in a maybe she was the fighter. No, she wasn't the fighter. It's weird. The fighter was it, the, one of the last That's definitely a discrepancy. Yeah. Where it's like, I want someone to explain that to me. And also, the cops probably won't because that obviously they're going to withhold information. That's the only lead they have is the surviving. Exactly. That's why we have any detail Martha. at all. Yeah. It's because of, yeah, this Martha. That's not her real name, by the way. We've established that. So police responded to the scene quickly, too quickly, in fact, you know, not too quickly. Not quickly enough. Not quickly enough, I know, but very quickly, like weirdly quickly. Like a minute. At the time that Rhoda McFarland dialed 901, an officer had been just a few hundred feet away in the parking lot, like we said, uh, and he was there within a minute. At this point, though, the gunman appeared to have made a getaway and was already gone by the time the officer began cautiously sweeping the store. I'm wondering, like, how many exits and stuff there are. Yeah. I assume cop comes into the front. Yeah, there's... I, well, I'm assuming it's a strip mall, because if there's, like, a Target nearby, it's probably, like, how the Target is over here, where it's kind of a strip mall. T- targets tend to be, yeah, like... Yeah, no, a, I, I, I'm sure it is. Most likely, just knowing that setup, there's a front entrance, and then there's a receiving area in the back. He may have gotten out the back. There's also, we'll get, I don't want to jump ahead too far, so we'll just continue. Okay. okay. Let's continue. So the officer found the five bodies in the back room of the Lane Bryant, as well as the survivor. And within minutes, multiple officers began flooding the scene alongside ambulances and paramedics who attempted to treat the six women. Unfortunately, only one would survive. Like we said, Martha, who had been shot in the neck and played dead. 
the other five the other five women were pronounced dead at the scene. Tinley Park officers were joined by officers from neighboring cities and counties and began locking down the entire Brookside Marketplace shopping center, which housed not only Lane Bryant and Target, but a handful of other retail chains and restaurants. They started sweeping the locations around Lane Bryant first, but quickly expanded outwards to the area around it, including the nearby PetSmart and Target. There's this dude named Sean Tyus, a black man that police found sitting in a car in the Target parking lot, and he was apprehended because he kind of fit the description. And the unfortunate thing was he was actually just waiting for his girlfriend to be done in the store. Uh, she was in Target, right? He's probably there for a long time. Because <laughs> women love Target. And so they started examining the soles of his shoes to see if he had any blood on them. And they detained him for more than an hour, asking him repeatedly, where's the gun? And then they were like, hey, did you remove the beads from your hair? You know, all this stuff. They were just like, you are our guy. We need you to be our guy, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I bet all this happened. And then she came back. And was like, from what shopping. the fuck? And, I- and then all the, he went from the station back to the car, still waiting. <laughs> She comes back shopping. She got well, like, did anything happen while I was gone? <laughs> they didn't have what I wanted. <laughs> Eventually, he was cleared from any involvement of the crime. And like I said, he had been simply just waiting for his girlfriend. Over the next several hours, police would use a helicopter to search the area around the shopping center and even drained a pond nearby in search of the murder weapon. However, the location of the shopping center, which was just off of I-80, meant that the killer could have gone anywhere in the region within minutes and even possibly without of the state within an hour or so. So the longer, you know, they wait, obviously, uh, or the longer time passes, just the further and further and further a criminal can get away. Obviously. Yes. So the search to find or even identify the gunman would fail to make any inroads in the days and weeks after the shooting, leaving the victims and their families without any sense of justice. So let's talk about some of the victims. So there was the manager, Rhoda McFarland, like like we talked about in the beginning. She'll be remembered as a brave woman who tried to save everyone. At the time of her death, she was 42 years old and had just been engaged to her fiancé that winter. His name was Stuart. Days after her death, she was put to rest, and a public memorial was held at Crest Hill, the same town where she had once served as a pastor. And I'm sorry if we said Rhonda with Rhoda. Sorry. Yeah, we suck. The second victim was Jennifer Bishop, 34, who was a nurse from South Bend, Indiana, who left behind two boys and a girl ranging from the ages as old as seven and as young as six months old. Jenny, as she was known, she worked at the South Bend Memorial Hospital as an ICU nurse. She had worked at that hospital for over a decade. And her coworkers and the entire hospital, including the doctors, were just in utter shock and disbelief. On the Saturday in question, Jenny had traveled to Tinley Park alongside of her husband, Brian, who was attending a work conference in the town that day. To help pass the time, she just stopped by the Lane Bryant to pick out a new outfit for that evening and likely decided to shop at Lane Bryant because she had just celebrated her 34th birthday and had a Lane Bryant gift card as a gift. Connie Woolfolk was a 37-year-old single mother of two boys, ages 10 and 16, and she lived in Flossmoor, Illinois, about eight miles east of Tinley Park. 
And at the time, she had been working an overnight shift at Target, but had recently started a mortgage company alongside of her mother. Connie's youngest son, who was just 10 at the time of the shooting, suffered from spina bifida, and he required a lot of time and attention from Connie. It is believed that Connie was the woman who fought back against the gunman at Lane Bryant, where she had dropped by to pick up an outfit for a rare girls' night out. Connie's brother, Aaron Woolfolk, later told reporters she was beat up pretty bad. The gunman must have pistol-whipped her pretty bad. In addition to bumps and bruises on her face, officials would remark that they found scratch marks on Connie's body, as well as blood underneath her fingernails, possibly the blood of the gunman, which gave police a potential DNA sample to test. Sarah Zafransky. I hope I'm saying that right. Zafransky, yeah. She was 22. So she was the youngest victim. A recent college grad looking for the right clothes for her first job at a downtown Chicago financial firm. Everyone remembered Sarah as a loving, bubbly, smart, and kind person. And a statement released by her family read, Our emotions are raw and we are still in shock. There is nothing adequate anyone can say at a time like this. Sarah was loved by all who knew her, and we are counting on that love to sustain us while we mourn. Mm. Very sad. Mm-hmm. The next one was Carrie Hodek Chiuso. 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 Mm-hmm. Chiuso. She was 33, a beloved high school counselor. She was the first victim to be buried after the shooting, and her memorial was held in Homewood inside the same church that Carrie and her husband Tony had gotten married less than two years prior. Ugh. Yeah, harsh. The two had just recently started talking about having kids and were planning to start expanding their family in the coming months. On the evening of February 2nd, Carrie was planning to meet up with some former classmates from DePaul and had stopped by the Lane Bryant to pick up a new outfit. Von Mansfield, the principal at the school Carrie worked at, Homewood Flossmore High School spoke at her, mem- her memorial and said, quote, where people are ordinary, Carrie puts extra in front of ordinary. She quietly was a part of all that we do. End quote. That was her principle. <laughs> and it sounds like he had a lobotomy. Because he's trying to say she's extraordinary. I know extraordinary. If you put extra in front of ordinary, you have Carrie. Okay. Nice speech. It's like me speaking at someone's <laughs> memorial. It's always decent people that get killed in these things too. You know, it's never the baby raping cannibals. Yeah, not enough baby raping cannibals dying. Yeah, it's it just ain't right. The final surviving victim was 33-year-old part-time Lane Bryant employee, and that was Martha, who we've been calling. And she worked at the store on weekends. I think we said that. And she was a nursing student, and so that's where she spent most of her time. So after faking dead and uh, the cops come and stuff, she was privately admitted to a local hospital and released a day later, but was kept in protective custody. Which, that tells us if she's only released after one day, then her injuries were not extensive. No, the bullet grazed her neck. Yeah. Yeah. And they kept her in protective custody for fear of the gunman coming after her or her loved ones. And they didn't 
the cops didn't say that there was a survivor in this. Yeah, they, they actually, said there yeah. was six Fi- people yeah. dead. Over the next several weeks, Martha spoke to the police on numerous occasions, providing them with information that added important details to the investigation. She would remain the only eyewitness to the tragedy, and for that reason, much of what she told police would become the official narrative of what happened that Saturday morning. Despite surviving this terrifying ordeal, though, the path to recovery wasn't easy for Martha. She would pen an open letter to the loved ones of the other shooting victims, which was delivered to the press by the Tinley Park Police. And this open letter read, On Saturday, February 2nd, an unspeakable tragedy occurred, and five of the bravest women I have ever met were senselessly murdered and taken from their families. My deepest sympathies and condolences go out to their families and friends. Please know that during the unfathomable events of that day, their thoughts were focused on you and coming home. My heart aches that they were unable to do so, and I am working with the authorities in any way possible for all of the victims. I ask that the media please respect all of the families and allow us to grieve and cope privately with the horrific crime that ripped our worlds apart. I also ask that everyone respect that neither I nor my family can discuss the horrible events of that day. I thank everybody who has expressed concern and ask that any person who can assist in the investigation contact the authorities immediately. From the jump, police begin referring to the shooting of the six women inside of the Lane Bryant as a botched robbery, or as Sergeant T.J. Grady of the Tinley Park Police described to the press later that afternoon as a robbery that quote, at some point went rather poorly. <laughs> uh, that is the understatement of that year, probably, in mm-hmm. that little town. Village. Oh, yeah, village. They're not town quite town is, status. Yeah, no, 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 I think They've only got one strip mall with a Target and a fucking <laughs> Lane Bryant. Bryant. We don't even have a Lane Bryant here in Ventura, California. I think we do. It's in the Pacific View Mall. <laughs> Police officials would state on numerous occasions that the investigation was extremely sensitive and that information needed to remain confidential to ensure its integrity. It seemed unlikely for this crime to have been personally motivated. Investigators begin pouring through the backgrounds of each of the six women involved, looking for anything the women might have had in common or anyone that might have had a reason to go after them. But they were just regular women, Retail workers, nurses, social workers, as well as mothers, wives, and daughters. They were not women that lived any type of high-risk lifestyle, and there was nothing in their background that indicated the killer had targeted them for anything personally. Additionally, it is not believed that any of the women recognized their killer. After all, he loitered around the store for 40 minutes, and based on the survivor's account, none of them seemed to show any familiarity towards him at all, who was unmasked throughout the whole ordeal. I think the mask might give it away. This is pre-COVID. The closest lead that they had was something with, like, Rhoda McFarland leaving a church and some financial stuff. She had a falling out with her church. But that, I don't see the connection there. Something about Something about maybe about needing money. Maybe needing money. But she was, like, the first person shot. So that doesn't make any sense. But that's the only thing they can come up with. Exactly. That's like, that's like the worst thing that somebody had done, basically. Yeah. I quit my church. Yeah. Robbery has been the main theory in this case from the beginning. As he guided the women towards the back of the store, he demanded whatever cash they had on them, which is around $200 total in both jewelry and money. 
This theory that the five of the women, this theory that the murder of the five women and the shooting of the six was conducted as part of a botched robbery has come under fire by skeptics over the last few years, due primarily to the fact of the robbery itself. The location itself, Lane Bryant, is not exactly a cash-rich setting, like we said, and most of the customers were paying by credit or debit, right? Yeah. So, and also, it's like right when the fucking store opens, so you don't have like a till full of money. You got to wait till like the customers come. Closing would make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But even still, it's not a store that would be cash rich, exactly. Why wouldn't you just go to the TJ Maxx next door? There's probably more. No, the TJ Maxx uh, replaces the Lane Bryant later on. Dope. So you're jumping ahead again. I'm really blowing it. So also, the gunman entered the store just after it opened at around 10 a.m., and it's possible that he might have believed that the money from the day before was still at the location, but Lane Bryant made its deposits each night, so the store was not likely to have much cash on hand, which, if we want to put, and I hate to do this, because I don't want to put any kind of negative light on the survivor, but if the lone survivor, who was the only other employee besides Rhoda, she was the only one that was supposed to be there that day. Because right. I don't think she knew Rhoda was coming in. I don't know if she did. So if she is the only employee that's supposed to be there and she's also the only survivor, that does kind of cast a little bit of a gray light on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, she would also have, she would probably also know that there was no cash there that day. So that kind of goes. Maybe she wanted part of that 200. 200 is not enough to fucking. <laughs> I mean, you it, don't think? obviously this was botched. I don't think the women meant to be murdered. So even if she was in on it to some extent, <laughs> this shit went awry real fast then. I'm pretty you know sure I mean? the women didn't mean to get murdered. Well, but I mean, I, I just think. The killer. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. I know, it's, I know, it's, it's, I know what you're saying because I'm married to you. The <laughs> listeners might be like, say what? Amy's texting someone. No, no. I want to make sure. It is Rhoda. Okay. Damn it, it's Rhoda. I just want to make sure. I said Rhonda, and I think I probably wrote Rhonda, so fuck me. I wrote Rhoda. Amy's still an angel, but fuck me, okay? (laughs) Stop it. So, to expand on the robbery theory, many have to assume that, that the killer was a drug addict or some kind of unhinged individual who's prepared to do anything that morning for any amount of money. So, yeah, like, if you're a fucking drug fiend and you got to get your next fix, you'll fucking kill someone for five bucks. Like, that But you might sell the green beads in your hair and the sequins from your butt because he's wearing these G-unit pants. There's sequins. (laughs) Like, he just came off of, like, the... Out of a... Fucking out uh, of what, Kevin? I was gonna say, um, who is the a, a, what a was rap the, video? Yeah, what was Jesus the kids Christ. that wore the uh, shit backwards? Crisscross. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> who wears sequins? I, I slept with a guy. <laughs> oh my god! No, okay, he was European. <laughs> that's not. That's not okay. That's not I, a pass. That's not I, a pass. I almost didn't sleep with him because of his pants. Yeah, that's a deal breaker. Was he, did you think he was a chick? No, he was really good looking. It was in Spain and he played the flamenco guitar. (laughs) And he was, uh, he was from Norway. It's 
Switzerland? One of those places. Sweden. Sweden. How did you know? Because you told me this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he had a he had a sequins on his pants. <laughs> this guy is so fucking Swedish. <laughs> Flamenco guitar and sequins on his pants from Sweden. Come on. Whatever he was hot. He probably fucking had dreadlocks too, right? <laughs> no, he had green beads in his hair. I'm just kidding. I'm just That's kidding. That's fucking sick. <laughs> it's also possible that the gunman didn't originally intend to shoot the women, having covered up their faces with undergarments. But then at that point, they already knew what he fucking looked like. But perhaps he had panicked due to Rhoda McFarland's 911 call and shot them knowing full well that the victims had seen his face and could describe him to the police who would be there momentarily. So this is what has been described as an unnamed source within law enforcement who spoke to the Chicago Sun-Times reporters Frank Main and Annie Sweeney back in 2008. They wrote, the intent of the killer was to keep robbing people as they came into the store. That's a terrible, terrible, that is a terrible idea. So the intent of the killer was to keep robbing people as they came into the store. That's what you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. It looked good on paper. It's and like it's like reverse shopping. <laughs> he should have been at the front of the store. He should have been at the cash register just grabbing money from me. Like, I don't this is the worst robbery ever. According to this unnamed all robberies are bad, but according to this unnamed source, the gunman had planned to keep taking hostages as they entered guiding them to the back room at gunpoint and then robbing, binding, and isolating them as he continued his numerous, as he continued this numerous times. I probably wouldn't enter a store who uh, of a guy who looked like that. I don't, I don't mean to say that. That sounds terrible. Yeah, you're really, um, are you I'm trying assume- to get us, are you trying to get us canceled? I'm just assuming he has a gun and he's like, come on in. Like, I don't mean it because of his race. I mean, because of the, the Glock. I would have been hypnotized by the green beads and I would have walked in straight in there. <laughs> okay. Also, there's not a lot of men who work at Lane Bryant. They tend to be like perverts. effeminate. <laughs> I would say perverts. <laughs> Pervert men. It's like as rare as a man being an OBGYN. That, the, Is that rare? Yeah, it's rare. Okay. So it wasn't until he noticed that Rhoda had called 911 that he realized his scheme was over. The terrible scheme that he had was over. So again, this is purported by police. This isn't what actually necessarily happened. This is just their theory. He, uh, She tried to close the phone and he shot her. Then he shoots the rest of them. Evidence existed, but since this crime has taken place in a high-density area, a shopping center with a lot of daily foot traffic... Investigators would have to spend time whittling down their evidence to workable leads. Okay, so like we've said before, police relied heavily on Martha's testimony to being like basically what happened because she was the only eyewitness to what happened. Martha was able to guide police to a discarded coffee cup, which had apparently been carried by the gunman on the morning of the shooting. See, again, this is the shit that like infuriates me. There's like five dead bodies... There's potential DNA under one of their fingernails. There's and a coffee cup. And a coffee cup. An insane description of this guy. I think there's there's closed caption television of him like driving away in his SUV. Like there's, there's a couple cars that are caught on camera. Yeah. There are so many fucking factors to this crime. 
Yet there's not even like a suspect or a person of interest in it. And it's been 12 motherfucking years, almost 13. This is the, I hate this case. So with, while the existence of this coffee cup hasn't been confirmed by law enforcement, it is believed that investigators were able to obtain a DNA sample from the gunman through this coffee cup, in addition to the blood found under the victim's fingernails, both of which helped confirm the gender and ethnicity of the gunman, but has not been linked to any known individual in the years since. A fact that itself hints at the killer being someone with no prior criminal history, which I find hard to believe. With the bullets and shell casings recovered at the crime scene, investigators were able to determine that the killer had used a 40 caliber semi-automatic Glock handgun, which he had taken with him and not abandoned anywhere near the crime scene. Exhaustive searches would be conducted in nearby forested areas, bodies of water, trash receptacles, and none showed any trace of the weapon or any similar ammunition. So unfortunately, this Lane Bryant didn't have a security camera system, but the police kept looking by for like nearby areas where like the car could have driven past, you know? I think there's cameras in the parking lot closer to like Target and stuff like that. Yeah. The most helpful video came, like I just said, from the Target store in the Brookside Marketplace which was just a few hundred feet away from Lane Bryant. This footage was very blurry, but with the help of Dr. David Hathaway and his team at NASA, yep, you heard me, NASA, the fake moon landing NASA, <laughs> investigators were able to see the two vehicles pulled in front of the Lane Bryant that morning and at around the same time the shooting started. One was a dark sedan, and the other, a larger SUV-type vehicle, which showed up at 10.39 and 10.40 a.m., respectively. Both would arrive just minutes before Rhoda's 911 phone call at 10.44 and left just a minute afterwards at 10.45, one after the other. It is believed that one or both of the vehicles might have been involved. Perhaps the gunman jumped into a getaway vehicle and the other being driven by a lookout of some sort. This footage, while incredibly blurry and hard to make out in any real detail, indicates that this was a planned operation that was carried out by multiple individuals, at least three, the gunman and at least two drivers. They might have planned a robbery of the store long in advance or perhaps had a more personal vendetta but that remains unknown to this day. But with within a minute of the five women being murdered, both vehicles had left the scene for good, and the drivers remain unidentified to this day. Ugh. In addition to all of this evidence, there was the 911 phone call made by store manager Rhoda. Police would only ever reveal a snippet of this call to the media, but would release a longer segment in the months to come, which focused less on Rhoda in the victims and expanded upon the recording of the gunman. Oh, so you can hear him in the background? You can hear his voice, yeah. Gotcha. So they also have his fucking voice. Jesus <clears throat> Christ. Yep. There's so much. The gunman was described as being a black man with medium complexion who was somewhere between the ages of 25 and 35. He stood somewhere between 5 foot 9 and 6 foot, was clean shaven, and was described as being husky. So maybe he was shopping for himself. Maybe he's a crossdresser. Maybe that's why they haven't found him. He's... Mm. Well, there is a theory that maybe the gunman was a woman. But I, I guess the DNA would confirm that he's a man. I don't know. 
this there's maybe another, the cops shouldn't be so stingy with their there's, DNA. There's another unsolved murder that's really frustrating. If anybody wants to look into it, because there's also like a lot of video footage from it, which is creepy as fuck. It's the Missy Beavers case, and the big theory there is that. It's assumed that it's a man, but there it very well could be a woman because of the way that they're dressed and the way that they move and their height. So this husky man or woman. Had Probably br- man. Most likely man. Had broad shoulders and a proportional build with his weight being estimated at somewhere between 200 and 230 pounds. So like I said, he could have been shopping there for himself. Maybe their pants are really comfortable. They probably are. Uh, no, he was there to rob the place, not buy husky pants. So we talked about the gunman's hair and having the cornrows and the beads. And so police visited local salons in search of someone that might know him, but that was unsuccessful too. The killer had no visible scars or tattoos and was wearing dark-colored winter coat, a dark gray skull cap, and black jeans that had rhinestones on the back uh, with a big cursive G in rhinestones. Did it actually say that? Yeah. Oh, so we were G, they were G-unit pants then, yeah. yeah I, wasn't, I don't joke about G-unit pants. Okay. Because it's not funny. You're not No, funny. they're fucking serious. Okay. But like I said, when, uh, when committing crimes, it's important that you want to wear the flashiest things you have. So you stand Easily out. Easily identifiable. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the police sketch was put together in the week after the shooting and was finally released to the public on February 11th, nine days after the shooting. Criminal profilers Greg McRae and Clint Van Zant they were the team that uh, helped identify the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. They weighed in with their thoughts after the shooting, creating a profile of the killer which they shared with the Chicago Sun-Times. They believed the killer had likely been incarcerated before, and his willingness to indiscriminately murder several women indicated that he vowed never to go back. They speculated that the killer likely believed himself to have been mistreated by society and had taken the wrong lessons from his prior incarceration. The two even theorized that the killer might have known one of the victims or had personally targeted them, believing that they could identify him. This fear of being identified, they believed, caused him to pull the trigger on all six women. According to McCrary, once they've killed somebody in a psychopath's way of thinking, everybody else has to die. And Van Zant said, quote, either way, something went wrong that caused him to take six women down. Maybe one of the victims recognized him or he felt he'd been recognized. The two believed that this mass killer had been incarcerated or in legal trouble since, with Van Zant stating in the profile, if the gunman feels that anyone in a position to help police catch him he will kill again even if it is a girlfriend or relative or someone close to him he's still very dangerous the investigation into this mass murder has continued over the past decade with police continuously investigating new tips and leads and refusing to label this a cold case officials have remained pretty quiet about what exact evidence they have left behind by the killer such as fingerprints dna hair shoe prints etc but we do know that police examined a potential suspect's shoe print on the day of the shooting. We've learned that police do have the killer's DNA, but it's unknown how exactly investigators discovered it. Whether, yeah, it, well, yeah, it's known. 
Well, th- I guess they what they mean there is if uh, it was from under the fingernails or from oh, the coffee cup. Oh, which source? Okay. Yeah. Which source they have it from? Okay. Some think that the killer could have been a super butch woman. This theory is isolated to primarily online circles, apparently that I have read because that's what I've heard. And the discrepancy in Rhoda McFarlane's 911 call, as well as the police sketch, which some believe almost looks feminine. And I agree it does. However, the voice on the 911 call sounds very masculine to me, but not overwhelmingly so. The survivor of the shooting described the shooter as a male. The police have always described the shooter as a male. And if there is DNA of the killer, it is likely confirmed his gender and ethnicity. The last possible theory really is that there's a slight possibility that it could have been some former jilted Lane Bryant customer or employee or something, right? But that's just speculation. Right. So over the past 11 years, over 7,500 tips have flooded into Illinois State Police, the South Suburban Major Crimes Task Force, the FBI, the Secret Service, Scotland Yard, and even NASA, who helped uh, enhance the surveillance images. A few years ago, investigators even reached out to the exclusive VDOC Society. If you know about them, they're really cool. A crime-fighting club based in Philadelphia, which is made up of prior law enforcement experts that pool their resources and knowledge together to attempt to crack unsolved cases. Sadly, like the other crime-fighting agencies, they were likewise unsuccessful in solving this case. So on the 10-year anniversary, on February 2nd, 2018... Police unveiled a new 3D image of the gunman, which added more life to the killer's description than the prior police sketch. This has been created in cooperation with Michigan State Police and led to dozens of new tips and leads, but unfortunately, none of them have been helpful. And the case remains unsolved to this day. Following the Lane Bryant shooting, the building that once housed the store remained dormant, with the store closing permanently after the shooting they donated all of the clothes inside to local charities, and the building itself would remain unoccupied until November of 2013, roughly six years later. That was when TJ Maxx took over the lease and began using the location to sell women's clothing once again. It's pretty crazy that they just just stopped operation there altogether. It's it's so common. Like it is. Yeah. It's it's really I don't you know the other the case that it just is tiny 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 reminiscent of is the Lululemon murders but I mean that was one it was one woman that was murdered and it's not unsolved it was another employee that murdered her um, that one always kind of haunts me too um, I just think about just pointless killings are just fucking infuriate me obviously but I think th- I want to say that they closed down that location too because it was just like it. No, they didn't close it down. They put a plaque there. They considered, like, closing it down. But there's just that idea that I think that there's going to be a lot of, like, rubberneckers or people just coming by. Yeah, Yeah, people just coming by to gawk at it and it becoming, like, this accidental memorial almost. People like us. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) believe me, when... When I was going to go visit my sister in Washington, D.C., I definitely was going to stop by the Lululemon store in Bethesda, Maryland. I definitely was going to do that because I'm a fucking freak because I used to be kind of obsessed with that case, too. But it's solved and it's it's fuck it's a weird case. Now it's old hat. It's just it's it's solved. And like I now that I've been doing the podcast for a while, I'm not as interested in solved cases as I am unsolved cases, I guess. I'm interested in the psychology of it. And I the the Lululemon one, 
This was is just like this beautiful, aspiring, athletic, very academic student who was like in a bad way. And she had stolen a pair of leggings and was like in trouble with her boss. And so she fucking like staged this horrific crime scene. Um, and and she murdered her boss in cold blood. And it's uh, it's a very it's a very difficult case. But there's just that element of like, what drove why did she why did she think that was going to be a good idea? You know, that just cases like that, like I'm more interested in the psychology of that. But this one just infuriates me because it feels solvable. You know, what store doesn't have cameras in 2008? Lane, Lane Bryant. Bryant. I mean, it's the thing is, you have to take into account if this was Chicago proper, it would have had security cameras. But this is apparently Tinley Park. Which is a village with, they barely have electricity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The tar, the, okay, well, yeah. and that makes sense. Yeah, I think Don't it, they have like I, a I lookout goat or something? <laughs> that like records the activities of weird people. Like, <laughs> Exactly, like that kind of goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about. I, yeah, unfortunately. So... The Tinley Park Memorial Fund was coordinated by Harris Bank in Frankfurt, Illinois, and was put together after the shooting by Lane Bryant's parent company, Charming Shops Incorporated. The goal of the fund was to help support the victims' families after their sudden loss and to receive donations to assist them in the future. So, again, I think Lane Bryant did tried to do as much as they could for the families because it's just fucking crazy. If you have any information that you think may be helpful to the case, you are encouraged to reach out to Tinley Park Police at 708-444-5394. You can also call in this information anonymously to Cook County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-535-7867. Also, there's a $100,000 reward pooled together by a lot of different organizations and sources. And it's not even dependent on a conviction. So if you have, like, literally, if you're like, oh, dude, I used to know a dude with G-unit pants that lived near Tinley Park at that point, call in. Be a snitch. Be rich. Yeah. That's the new. Stitches don't get, wait, snitches don't get stitches. Snitches get rich in this case. Snitches get riches. Well, they all also get stitches. Maybe. Not in this case, though. Fucking call. It's universal law. Yeah. Can't fuck with the universe. Okay. Final thoughts. We have no final thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. We 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 had our thoughts throughout this this this. Like I said, this is a very infuriating case because if that's the thing, the whole time you're just like, why can't they solve it? There's yeah. so much evidence. Inside it's job. Fucking insane. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody in the police department. It's like nine eleven. But maybe someone out there knows, and you can get some money. You can hit us up on our true crime we'll, dumpster we'll Facebook group. We'll split it with you. Yeah, we'll split the two hundred bucks. Um, it's a hundred thousand. Oh shit! <laughs> well, if you got any tips, please join our true crime dumpster Facebook group, and so we can share that money. Yeah, there's somebody who just posted about. They know who killed Kaylee Anthony. They wrote a book called I Know. (laughs) That too. I know who killed Kennedy. Well, I guess CIA did. 
Oh. All right, that's a different episode. That's Whoa. a different episode. We got to edit that. They're going to come after us. <laughs> okay, you can follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster.com. I mean, no. You can email us. <laughs> I got my fact checker here. <laughs> you can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. That might work. Listen to our show. I'm being edited. Fact. I'm, yeah, we're editing real time. <laughs> Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review. Rating. But seriously, I know a lot of you guys listen. Fucking give us five stars. Come on. Tell a friend. Even or, if you have even to if- make one up on the <laughs> internet, that's actually you. It's a good time to make friends on the internet. Nothing else to do. But every review, rating, and referral really does help us get to a larger audience, and we really appreciate that. So if you could help us dumpster dummies out, we would love that. So tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye. Bye.